I've had so much shame over a lot of ADHD type behaviors because I felt like I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not intelligent enough. Welcome to today's podcast episode. I am sitting down and chatting with you about my experience in receiving a ADHD diagnosis, or is it diagnosis, diagnosis, whatever. I have, I guess, resisted sitting down and recording this episode predominantly because I am very well aware that content right now is saturated with ADHD stuff. Maybe it's just my algorithm, but I have a sneaking suspicion Yours is serving you up a lot of ADHD content as well, whether that's on TikTok, whether that's on Instagram, wherever you consume content, and also just in real life, not to mention podcasts as well. But I know in real life, so many of us are having conversations about ADHD because because of that content, because there's so much more awareness surrounding it. I've resisted recording a whole episode on my experience because I know there's so much information out there and there are people that are far more qualified to speak on the topic. All I can do is add my experience, my lived experience of going through the diagnosis process and also share with you how I believe ADHD impacts me and my life. I know right now, uh, and it's been like this for a little while, It seems like everyone who has a platform has come out and said, I have ADHD. And I know that it is very tempting to kind of find yourself thinking, oh yeah, all right, ADHD is a trend. It's a buzzword. It's an excuse. And I think we can all be forgiven for thinking that way when it seems like the amount of people that are coming out all of a sudden is really disproportionate to what we might anticipate. But the thing is, so many more people are coming out and realizing and, you know, receiving their own diagnosis because of all of that extra information. So it's definitely felt like a bit of a fire hose from my point of view. So much content about ADHD, so many people coming out and talking about it that I've just held off sitting down and doing it. But I do get a lot of questions. And I think for me, having a diagnosis has been really valuable. Has it fixed some of the behaviors and the way I think and feel at times? No, not by a long shot. Has my life dramatically changed since having a diagnosis? No, but what it has given me is a level of self-compassion that I did not have before and a level of understanding of myself that I didn't have before. And so if this episode can reach someone else out there who perhaps you know, you might find yourself nodding along to the things I'm going to talk about. Maybe it can do the same for someone else listening. As I said, I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. I never pretend to be one. And I don't even know if some of the things I'm going to talk about today are 100% wholly and solely from my ADHD, but they are 100% my lived experience. And in going through that process, a lot of it's kind of been grouped together. 
I guess what I mean by that is maybe some of the stuff I experience is anxiety, or maybe it is just ADHD. I don't know how to untangle all of the threads, but going through this process and understanding, oh, okay, I do in fact have inattentive type ADHD has been helpful for me. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So, how did it come to my attention that I might have ADHD? There were different podcasts and different little sound bites on social media that I would hear and think, oh, I can relate to that. But I would also think, doesn't everyone feel like that? You know, doesn't everyone experience some degree of that thing? The real, uh, I guess, catalyst for me in understanding that perhaps I had ADHD was when we began to explore the diagnosis process for one of my boys. And now, given that one of my boys has also been diagnosed, I do wonder if the other one has ADHD as well and he's just better at masking it now that I've heard a little bit more about the research in terms of genetics, but perhaps I can chat a little bit more about that later on. The reason it came about to even be curious with this with my son was during a parent-teacher interview, I was chatting with his teacher and Brendan was there with me, and we were chatting about things like dyspraxia or dysgraphia, dyspraxia, I think. Definitely wasn't dyslexia. It's the one with about spatial awareness uh, in terms of writing. And I was very much open to understanding, you know, is there some sort of uh, issue, some sort of developmental thing that we could help him with in terms of his writing? Because his teacher had expressed some concerns about the readability of his words and how he just really was unable to kind of predict where the page would end, you know, like write his first three words of a sentence really large and take up three quarters of the space and then cram his next few words into a tiny space. So there seemed to be some sort of spatial awareness or something happening. My way of thinking was that that was pretty age appropriate, given that I'm not a teacher, that probably doesn't count for anything, right? Uh, But as I was saying to his teacher, you know, all of the kids, you know, in his age group have gone through COVID where they've been homeschooled and the school they went to didn't really provide much homeschooling. And I was kind of like, "Eh, is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? I don't know, but I'm certainly open to exploring it because I am aware of my own limitations. And we spoke a little bit more about some other bits and pieces, and it wasn't at all about um, hyperactive behavior because neither of my boys, I think, would be described as hyperactive in terms of behavior. But his teacher was saying that, you know, my son was finding it hard to take instruction and he really wasn't participating if it was a group kind of activity, trying to, I guess, fly under the radar. 
And I was like, well, yeah, that's exactly how I was as a child too. I can remember being in group situations, you know, whether it's those uh, like get to know me games where you have to go around a circle or whether you're doing a lesson and you're so worried that the teacher's going to call on you. I have very visceral memories of being in class as a young child and being terrified, like not just a little bit nervous, properly terrified, sweating bullets, afraid that the teacher would ask me a question or that when it was my turn to introduce myself and say something about myself, that I wouldn't know what to do or say. And so I think because of that, you know, sorry, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but I think because of that, I really lent into thinking I had a lot of anxiety as a child. But anyway, back to my son and his teacher. So we were talking about how he finds it hard to pay attention. She's often got a repeat instruction to him. And I was saying to her, and Brendan was agreeing, that I naturally do that with the boys, right? So one of the boys, I could say to him, you know, here are five instructions, like, hey, I need you to go out to the car. Can you grab your water bottle on the way in? Can you bring your shoes in from the garage? And then as you come through, I also need you to get so-and-so out of your school bag. You know, like I could give him those instructions. Whereas my other son, I just wouldn't do that because I know he can't manage it. So naturally I've had this inclination to tailor the way that I talk to him. So I would say to him, hey, I need you to go to the car and do this first step. And then once he came back and was able to do that first step, then I would give him the next step. So I had developed a way of communicating with him where I was giving him more bite-sized information than his brother, because I was just aware that that's how he could process and handle things. And it's not a big deal. It's not like I sat down and thought, oh, this is the way to get through to him. I just noticed as they were growing up, it was more difficult for him to follow a multitude of steps than it was for his brother. And so I was kind of nodding along like, yeah, that makes sense. That tracks, you know, tracks that he kind of needs to be told a few times and often in a one-on-one setting and often down at his level and eye level and those sorts of things. And it was actually Brendan who piped up during the parent-teacher interview and said, what about ADHD? And his teacher kind of leant back in their chair and went, oh, I hadn't really thought about that. But now that you say it, maybe you know, maybe because there have been students over my teaching career that have had ADHD and had these issues with writing. And once the ADHD is treated, um, their writing has improved. And that then led into a conversation about how disorganized he is. And I was so in a, like, just so agreeing with everything the teacher was saying, like, yes, he is. He is chaotic. He is disorganized. He always has been. He exits the school gate holding his school bag, right? School bag is wide open. It's like flapping in the wind. He's got notes, no joke, blowing out of his school bag. He's got this bag, but he's also carrying his hat. He's carrying his lunchbox. The water bottle will invariably be tucked under his underarm. Another note in his hand. He's got a pocket full of precious treasures that he's collected. He's got Shark the monkey, and he's carrying and juggling all of these things. Rather than putting them in the school bag and zipping the bag up and exiting in a linear line, it's like that process is too much for him to handle. And as we were having that conversation about being disorganized, I said, yes, like he is. And I've never thought it was a problem because that's how I am. 
I remember being at school and being so panicked over having to put pieces of paper into display folders or having to put my items into my school bag. It just seemed so hard. And even now, as I'm saying that out loud, I didn't realize that other people don't experience those same same waves of anxiety over stuff like that. Even, you know, recently I said to Brendan, can you unlock the front door for me? Because I have key anxiety. I get really, really worried about putting keys in locks because I struggle to do it. It's like my brain, which sounds so silly, but I'll look at a key and if it doesn't go in the first time and I can't unlock the lock, I start to panic, you know, and I'll always put the wrong key in and I'll always twist it the wrong way. And I've jammed keys in locks before because of this reason. You know, when I was dating, if someone was dropping me back home to my house, I would remove all my other keys. So I just had one key on my key ring. So I didn't look like, like a weirdo standing at my door, not knowing what the key was after they dropped me off a key anxiety. Who would have thought? But as we were chatting about my son and his disorganization, I'm like, yeah, that's me. And so this conversation kind of unlocked, um, the decision to begin the process of exploring any sort of neurodevelopmental conditions or differences. And, you know, as we left that meeting, it was like things like just started to click into place for me. All of these little cogs were turning and all of a sudden I could see my son's behaviors and my behaviors all lining up. And, you know, it's very easy to think, oh, well, perhaps he's like that because it's a learned behavior and he's learned it from me. And, you know, maybe there is an element of that, but I could just see like certain little things were lining up. You know, my son takes a book into the shower, not the actual shower, but into the bathroom every night so that when he gets out of the shower, he can read while he's drying his body. That was me as a kid. You know, like I needed to be doing something while doing something else. And that wasn't hyperactive. You know, you wouldn't necessarily identify that kind of level of multitasking or needing to be busy with quiet tasks as hyperactive, I don't think. But anyway, once I began to understand that ADHD can be hyperactive thoughts, that was a game changer for me as well, because that's how my son is. And that's how I am as well. And it was, you know, a series of little moments, you know, even, you know what it's like when you're in a new relationship and you'll look over at your person and you'll say, Oh, what are you thinking about? And like Brendan just, uh, will go nothing. Like I'm not thinking about anything. And he's like, what are you thinking about? And I'll explain to him what I'm thinking about and how I got there. So it might be something really obscure. And he'll say, why are you thinking about that? And I'll say, well, I started thinking about this thing, which led to that thing, which and it's like a hundred different tangents in a two second window. And so realizing, okay, ADHD doesn't have to mean you are a child that's bouncing off the walls. It can mean that you have these thoughts that are just racing and it's really hard to manage them. And my son is like that as well. You know, he always has very big existential questions. He's, he gets very spirally. Um, there's also the rejection sensitivity component, which I think impacts both him and I quite a bit. And so again, like I said, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. One of my friends is a psychologist who speaks a lot about uh, ADHD. And I know she's got some great resources on rejection sensitivity. You can find her on Instagram at mindfoodsteph. But she speaks a lot about rejection sensitivity and how it actually 
feels painful for someone with this neurodevelopmental condition. It is painful when you perceive that someone is rejecting you. It's not just a little bit of like, oh, that doesn't feel good. It's really, really, really uncomfortable. And so is boredom. Boredom is deeply, deeply, deeply uncomfortable. I find it torturous to go on a really long car drive unless I'm doing things. Um, You know, if I'm driving, that's the worst thing ever because that's not enough stimulation for me. But if I'm a passenger and I can be on my phone and working and listening to a podcast and handing out snacks to the kids, that kind of soothes what's going on for me. Some of my biggest difficulties uh, that I can identify with ADHD and also just going through this process with my psychiatrist definitely are centered around life admin and organization. I've always felt so much shame around the fact that I don't think I'm a very good adult. And I think I've made choices in the past to outsource some of the adulting because I knew that I didn't have the capability to do it. I really struggle to understand a lot of adult processes, which sounds silly because I know I am a functioning adult, but I don't function that well in some areas. You know, when I had to um, put my, uh, what's it called when you're applying for a mortgage, Uh, together on my own, because at one point I was hoping to get approved for a mortgage on my own, that was just like the most torturous thing. And I know that's something that no one enjoys, but similar to getting a passport, it's the sort of stuff that I would lose sleep over because I didn't have faith in my ability to do it. And it is a properly stressful feeling, even though there's a part of me that rationally and logically knows it is fine and I will manage it. It feels very, 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 very distressing for me. The racing thoughts um, there is definitely sort of a comorbidity there with anxiety as well, I think. For me, one of my first, well, not one of my, the actual first step to getting a diagnosis was to see my doctor, my GP, and then get a referral to a psychiatrist. And the wait time for that was quite lengthy. It was a couple of months. Once I did get in with the psychiatrist, um, it all moved pretty quickly. I had my first session and we went over, you know, stuff from my childhood, things like what sort of a student were you? And it's very common from what I understand for women to be very apt at masking and flying under the radar. And as I said earlier, you know, wanting to avoid any attention from teachers or students or any sort of spotlight, that was me. To the point where I can remember in grade 10, my parents had a parent-teacher interview And my teacher was talking about me and my dad said, hang on, that doesn't sound like Kylie. Is this who you're talking about? And he showed a photo of me and she said, no, no, that's not who I'm talking about. And she was actually talking about my friend, Jessica. She was describing Jess and she's like, oh, to, to that level of invisibility. I always wanted to just sink away and not be known and not be seen, not ruffle any feathers, uh, certainly not... I certainly wasn't seeking any accolades either at school. It was just head down, bum up and avoid attention as much as possible in terms of being at school. So we spoke about that. We spoke about how my parents would describe me. And, you know, my dad has always said, 
you're the easy one in the middle. You never caused any problems. And again, I think that might be to do with some sort of ADHD stuff as well, just wanting to fly under the radar. We spoke about uh, school report cards, you know, and often they were they were including comments that had things like, she would do better if she applied herself more. But I feel like everyone has comments like that, right? Um, but so I had my first appointment. Then during that appointment, the psychiatrist said, right, I need you to go and do all of this paperwork. And I'm like, is this the test? Like, is this the ADHD test? Because if I don't do this paperwork, um, does that prove I have it? Because the thought of now going home and having to do this before our next appointment, oh, and this was the kicker. And he's like, and then I need you to scan it and email it back before our appointment. I'm like, there's no way. There is no way I will do that. What I will do is I will handwrite it and I will drive it back to the clinic because the thought of scanning it and uploading it and getting that back to you is too stressful. So we had a bit of a laugh about that, but I did get the paperwork done. I then had my next meeting with him. Again, it was like maybe six, eight weeks between first and second meeting. And during that meeting, we went through some more stuff. And he said, look, I think, well, not I think, he said, I would say you have um, inattentive type ADHD. Let's talk about some of our options. And options include things like behavioral uh, treatment. There are groups you can attend, um, systems you can sort of start to lean on with your behavior, cognitive behavioral therapy. And then there are pharmaceutical medication options as well. And we discussed the pros and cons of what that entails. And I did opt to take medication and I am taking medication. I'm not going to go into medication here. I don't think you legally can even say the name of medications and certain things on platforms like this. But the reason we decided on the medication I'm on is because it leaves the system quickly. And if Brendan and I were to fall pregnant, then I could just stop taking it and there'd be very low risk, whereas other medications would require me to wean off the meds. So that's why I started, I wanted to start with the specific medication I'm on now. And originally my doctor said, you start with one in the morning or half, see how you go. And half, I didn't really feel anything, but then having a little bit more, I started to feel calmer. And on the first day that I had had full medication, Jordan said to me, what's going on? Because I had sent everything to her in like a linear line. Like she'd requested things from me and my normal way of responding would be chaotic. You know, it's I'll respond via email to one question then text via another, and then maybe Instagram via another. And like, I'll put things in the wrong documents. Like I am really, really hard to work with. I'm, I'm challenging to work with. And after starting medication, Jordan was like, right, I can see an improvement from here. How do you feel? And how I feel taking medication is like I can focus. I feel so much more organized in my thoughts and being able to actually focus on the task at hand. If I don't have medication, for example, this is just a very clear example of how I find it hard to focus. I can be working out in the garage and I'll think to myself, okay, after this run, I'm going to go and press start, say play, press play on a load of washing. And then as soon as that washing goes off, I will like jump off the treadmill and I'll go and hang out that washing. And then I'll come back and keep going with my workout. Like I'm always doing a million things at once. And when I have the medication, 
I notice that I have less of an impulse to spread myself across so many different tasks. I am much more able to sit and get a task at hand completed. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A couple of things I think that it's just worth touching on that my psychiatrist spoke about with me as well. He said it's really common for people that do have ADHD to work for themselves uh, because it allows you then to kind of design a life that fits in around your own personal proclivities. It doesn't work for me to be in a team environment because I feel like I let people down all the time. And that's probably (laughs) makes me want to cry saying it like that's something I've struggled with my whole life is I feel like I let people down without meaning to, you know, in terms of not remembering specific dates or maybe not replying uh, in a timely manner, not being as good a friend as I would like to be because I struggle with organization and prioritizing things. And there's also like a time blindness thing as well, which I personally think in time, in terms of um, time blindness, I've gone the other way and kind of over corrected because I'm very rarely late, but I'm always half an hour early. You know, if I look at the clock and it's 10 past eight, I round up to 8.30. In my mind, that's 8.30. And I think that's a system I've kind of developed for myself to help mitigate that time blindness that does exist with ADHD. I've had so much shame over a lot of ADHD type behaviors because I felt like I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not intelligent enough. I've struggled in conversation particularly if you go back and listen to some of the earlier podcast interviews, I struggle. I really am struggling to pay attention and to respond in a way that is thoughtful and segues onto something else that is helpful. I think I've gotten significantly better at it over the years. And I've noticed that when I do have medication, I'm much better at holding a linear conversation and, you know, playing tennis more in a conversation rather than monopolizing it. And that's another thing. ADHD goes hand in hand with oversharing. And that's why so many people with public platforms are coming forth and saying they have ADHD. It is not a coincidence that people who monetize their lives and share their lives and overspeak and perhaps overreact or just have big reactions at times also have some form of ADHD. And there are lots of different types of ADHD. I think there's also a correlation between ADHD and dopamine regulation and also seeking out dopamine, seeking out adrenaline. We, I say we, both Brendan and I believe he also has ADHD and that's part of why he's always seeking adrenaline. And there's an impulsiveness as well 
that can go hand in hand with ADHD from what I understand. And I feel like it's so common for us, for those of us who struggle with life admin, we're always just paying more, right? Because everything is late. It is so common for me to be late paying a bill. I have the money there to pay the bill, but I don't pay it, right? So unless I have a system set up where it's getting paid automatically, I end up then um, finding myself in a situation where I'm paying more because there's a late fee or there's something like that as well that you get taxed for. And I've heard other people in the public you know, atmosphere say that there's definitely an ADHD tax. And I firmly believe that it's a personal tax that we pay because there is this inability to stay on top of stuff, you know, and that's another area that I've had so much shame about. Like, why is it so hard for me to pay a bill when I've got the money there and the bill is sitting there? Why does it cause me physical pain to actually go through those processes? You know, and over the years, Jordan, who's worked with me for the last five, nearly five years, definitely over four years, she'll say to me, you need to pay your rego because she's gotten to the point where she understands that if she doesn't tell me to go and do that, and this is so shame-filling, but if she doesn't tell me to go and do that and then remind me seven times and I don't do it, she knows I'm going to be offline because I need to go and fix that because I let it get to the point where I can't just renew it online. I have to go in person and jump through all of the hoops. It's shit. It is so shit. And I know for some people listening, you'll be like, eh, it's just excuses. You're just lazy. You're not... Um, you know, you prioritize other things like, oh, really, Kylie, is it really that hard for you to pay a bill? You managed to get a workout in. I swear to you, it's a different thing. It's a different part of my brain. And maybe that's the dopamine, adrenaline seeking part that goes, oh, I know exactly what I need to do to make sure I get my exercise in. But fuck, I can't actually go through this step where I have to pay a BPAY bill because I can't understand the process of it. It is exhausting. It is so exhausting. And yes, medication has helped me, but I think maybe the most helpful thing is understanding, understanding why I am the way I am. That gives me an inroad to self-compassion rather than self-flagellation, rather than beating myself up. Another part, you know, that's just popped into my mind that I think has to do with ADHD is feeling really overwhelmed with a lot of stimulation at times, unless it's the stimulation I'm curating. So I am very comfortable with like having a podcast on while I'm reading, while I'm studying. That degree of three things happening at once is perfect for me. But if it's being in Woolworths and there's a lot of noise in Woolworths and the bright lights are on and I'm getting a phone call and I'm also having to pay for something or the boys are asking me a question while they've got an audio book playing, while I'm washing the dishes. Like it's very uh, subjective what my stimulation overload is, but it certainly happens. And I feel very exhausted a lot of the time. And I think that that all is part of it. There are probably a million things I've forgotten here uh, because it's just such a big, a big topic. But I did want to sit down and share with you this experience at the moment, I have um, medication in the morning. Sometimes I'll take it of an afternoon if I'm going to be working a bit later and I feel like I need it. But if it's an afternoon where I've got the kids, um, then I won't because I don't feel like I need it. 
And there's probably still a part of me that feels a bit of like, oh, if I don't need it, then don't take it. But my my psychiatrist has said to me, if after school you are managing the mum life load, that is okay. He said for other people, they'll find that period to be the most overwhelming. But the chaos of after school or having the kids kind of feels like an anchor to me. And I heard Mia Friedman speak about this in her podcast on ADHD. And she said that, you know, the chaos of newborns actually suited her really well. It was when her children got older that she struggled because she found it boring. And I have to say, as much as I love my children, I'm struggling more with this age than I have with any other age, purely because I do find their interests very intolerable to me. You know, being spoken at about interests, Dungeons and Dragons, video games, all those sorts of things are super boring to me. And that's super boring to all parents, I'm sure. But I do find this age harder with the kids versus, I guess, the chaos and the continual busyness of babies and toddlers. So I don't know if that's ADHD or that's just a personal proclivity. I'm not sure. As I said, there are likely going to be lots of components I haven't included, things that I have missed. Feel free to um, go over to Instagram and post a question as a comment. I'd rather that you post it as a comment because I will then be able to video reply to you and I won't miss it. My DMs are insane at the moment. Again, and maybe this is part of it. I don't know. I can't keep up with them. I get short bursts of attention as well. That's another ADHD thing, right? Back to saying I'm awful to work with. I'm chaotic because I will have this idea and I'm like, this is what we need to do. Let's do this. I'm all in. And then it just fizzles out. Part of my ADHD, I think, is I have great ideas but lack execution because processes are a weak, like a really, really weak point for me. And so back to conversations with my psychiatrist, he's like, well, it doesn't surprise me that you've created this life where you've onboarded a staff member who is great with processes and systems, and you've created a life where you don't really have to deal with that as much as, you know, you deal with it as little as possible, even though it does still impact me a lot. So anyway, there are some thoughts for you. Sorry if they're all over the show. It's the nature of the beast. Um, I do appreciate you listening And if there's someone out there who's nodding along and they can relate to the disorganization and the hyperactive thoughts and the rejection sensitivity and the life admin and all of that stuff, maybe you want to explore it for yourself. And maybe you don't. Maybe you kind of err more on the side of like, it just is what it is. And that's great and that's fine. But for me to kind of have that acceptance of self, it's like I almost needed someone to validate it which maybe it's a healthier thing to not need the validation. But I think a lot of us live in a society and a lot of us have been raised to not trust ourselves. And so it is helpful to have someone that we um, identify as knowledgeable and more authoritarian than ourselves give us permission for the way that we are, which is kind of insane and probably a whole other podcast topic. But I do appreciate you listening to today's episode Jump on over to Instagram and let me know if you liked this episode or if you have any other questions, and I will absolutely do my best. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. 
In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 